Hello, product innovators. Today we learn about prototyping best practices from a product designer who has led hardware teams at Dell, Sunbeam, and Hewlett Packard. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Mike Morn to the show. Mike was an industrial design senior principal at Dell for many years, and before that, similar roles at HP and Sunbeam, along with working with many physical consumer product inventors and startups along the way. He's also been a mentor at Capital Factory and Techstars, in addition to working with Mako Design too. Today, Mike is going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers can understand the importance and best practices around the different types of prototypes, how important prototyping is to product development, and how to use prototypes to ensure a product is successful both in the market and in manufacturing. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Mike, welcome back to the show. How you doing, Kevin? Good to see you again. Yeah, likewise. You know, you've obviously got a long history in the product development space. You spent many years as a major design lead in various divisions, departments, products at Dell. Mm-hmm. I have worked with startups, Fortune 500 companies in product development. You've lived overseas in China, handling many assets of the manufacturing side as well. Mm-hmm. So what a perfect person today to talk about prototyping and the importance of prototyping mm-hmm. and what it means in the product development process. It's mm-hmm. largely misunderstood by somebody who's new to the product development space, but obviously well ingrained through industrial designers, mechanical engineers, electronic engineers, et cetera, in terms of the importance of prototyping. Mm. Today, I want to go over why it's important, why it's done at the big levels at Fortune 500, but why it's also done at the startup levels and how you can best optimize prototyping for getting your new invention to the market. So today, Mike Morton. Mike, can you give us a bit of a background to your career in product development? Sure. Good to hear from you again, Kevin. Good to see you and be here and talk about, like I said, prototyping, such a critical make or break portion of the development process. So important and, and everybody learned so much from it. Graduated industrial design way, way back when before we were doing CAD and things like that, we were still, we still had uh, drawing machines and all that sort of stuff. Right as that started coming in, pretty quickly after I graduated, I ended up going over to Asia. I'd grown up out there and established a design firm in Hong Kong and did that for six years. And that was a really great experience. Obviously, everything was made out there. It was a real transitional time when things were starting to go from places like Hong Kong deep into China and got exposure to not only front-end development design, concept design, development part, but also how things got made in those international manufacturing environments and how you would manage to make sure that what you put into the factory basically came out of the factory which especially back then was a challenge. Did that for several years, as I mentioned. Eventually came back to the States and went over to the other side and and went corporate. And as you mentioned, I I was with Dell, but before that I was with HP for a few years and Sunbeam Corporation, Sunbeam Moster. So doing lots of appliances, home products, grills, all kinds of things like that. So was able to have a pretty wide range of experience with different products and the whole time working back and forth between the U.S. and Asia, again, understanding the, the way the different industries do things. So got real lucky. I think I just kind of fell into a lot of that, but was able to have a, a pretty wide exposure to sports equipment, home audio, portable phones, computers, appliances, coffee makers, toasters, you know, just all kinds of things and see how things are actually 
designed and built. It takes us back to the prototyping. If you have that kind of understanding, if you just have that exposure, you're, you walk through the factories and you're like, what is that? And you find out that they're doing things that you had no idea you can design better. So getting that understanding of those processes and prototyping is an important one of those processes really made a difference and allowed me to, to be able to do what I do. Now I basically left out a few years ago and I basically mentor startup companies that are trying to develop new products. And that's how we got connected years ago. And it's just an exciting environment, helping people you know, invent stuff and, and come up with new ideas and get them all the way through the process into the market. So I really enjoyed doing that. Much appreciated for that overview, Mike. It's been a pleasure knowing you over the years, working with you on projects and uh, just seeing your expertise come through because it's incredibly valuable given all that breadth that you talk about working both with all these Fortune 500 companies and getting great products to market all the way from the idea stage through design, engineering, prototyping, and production, but also working with many startups along the way. And I know you've been a mentor at Capital Factory and Techstars, so you really have this incredible experience around helping startups get off the ground with their new inventions and new products. So we're going to talk about about prototyping today. I'm going to go over just a quick overview of the usual set of prototypes that we do at Maco. And then Mike, I want you to weigh in on those types of prototypes and, and what the value is to the success of a product. First and foremost, think about when the prototyping process is. And that's usually after industrial design, conceptual mechanical engineering, electronics and component theory. So you basically mm -hmm. got your design platform in theory digitized on the computer in CAD. Mm -hmm. Next step, we go into mock prototyping. We call it the rough prototype, the mock prototype, 3D printed prototype, breadboard of the electronics, if your product has electronics in it, mm -hmm. that sort of a thing. From there, you move on to like a mechanical prototypes. This is a product that is quasi working. You can actually test it out, feel mm -hmm. for how the thing functions as well as form and all the rest. Then you go into a more refined prototype. That's something that looks good, works well, has been detailed, highly engineered. And then from there, you're going into production sampling or production prototypes, which is really the one unit that you're approving to hopefully replicate in hundreds, thousands, or hundreds of thousands in the future. Mm. So Mike, I want to hear from you about those different types of prototypes, starting from the early rough prototypes and what you find are some of the best practices, but also what's some of the importance of these different types of prototypes in getting a new product to market and to production in a successful way. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, everything you mentioned is critical. There's the, the old saying that you can't, you just prototype, prototype, prototype. You, you can't do that too much. And the stages you mentioned all, that, that totally makes sense. You didn't, I don't think you left any out. One thing I'd add is that sometimes depending on the project, you have to move those around a little bit. Sometimes a product may have a lot more aesthetic and usability interaction, interactive issues around it. So you have to start physically prototyping things, making foam models, things like that earlier on before you actually can get to the more refined CAD models because you just got to discover how well it fits in a hand. And that may drive a lot of the other design. Overview, you're totally on target with that's the right sequence. You got to be sensitive as to what you're actually designing. And as you know, sometimes one will drive the other. Sometimes you need to prove out a technology to understand how big the envelope needs to be. How big are the motors inside? Well, they're, they're a lot bigger than you thought, or they're a lot smaller than you thought. That's going to drive a big difference to your aesthetic, to your product design. It's a really good point. And I want to bring a little sidebar to that. We always yeah. look at design essentially in two lenses. Mm -hmm. One is routine design. Essentially, that's putting together pre-existing technologies. That's actually what most of new products are. 99% or more of new patents that are filed or of combinations mm -hmm. or reconfigurations or improvements on existing technology. Very rarely is somebody coming up with a new thing like the light bulb. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's usually some integration of an existing light bulb that makes for a new product. So that's your routine design. And I don't mean routine and downplaying at all. Combining new products is amazing. That actually is the essence of so many new things, but mm. that is one type of design, which has a certain type of processes. The other we call experimental design. Mm-hmm. This is the unknown. This is yeah. where you're pushing the boundaries of technology. Maybe you want to make your product smaller than ever. Maybe you want to add some feature that's never been added before. Maybe yeah. you want a hinge that's never been developed before. Mm-hmm. And Mike, I love how you mentioned these kind of like sidebar projects or sometimes reordering your prototyping, because if you have something that's experimental in your product, mm-hmm. it is critical possibly upfront to sort out that experimental thing. So before you even start developing your product, whether as you mentioned, it's a clay model to figure out how it fits in your hand and you need to try 10 little rough prototypes or carved Mm -hmm. prototypes or 3D prints just to figure out that first because it's critical to your product or whether it's figuring out an actual piece of technology, electronics, mechanics, industrial design, whatever it might be, something that is critical to your product functioning, you might as well figure out the foundation of your product first before then going ahead and building this whole envelope around it. So that's when we look at the design process. If we look at those, say, three or four prototype rounds, you always want to think about these little experimental things that may Mm -hmm. come up, which are almost mini side projects in and amongst Mm -hmm. your overall main product development plan to get it to production. You're reflecting and and you're on target. You're expanding exactly correctly. A lot of times people, especially if, if they're starting out with developing products, they haven't had a lot of experience. I've run into people who think, okay, well, we got to do all this work and then we do a prototype. You actually probably want to do a bunch of, like you said, the little sidebar stuff to get there. And that's totally okay. Sometimes you just hack something out just to prove a point, a little point, and that's a prototype, but it can be really important to help you get to that more complete prototype a lot faster. It's great to get as much as you can, but you want to try to Make sure as much of that is the value and, and nothing sort of can detract that because you didn't sort of check it out first. And it's a balance. We all we both have experience with saying, hey, let's fix this part first. So let's develop this part first and then do the bigger one. It's not necessarily a bam, cut and dry thing, which is fine. That's actually, to me, it's great because it's a little more organic, especially in the later stages when you really want to make it perfect and you're proving out how everything's working together. You want to make sure all that's right. And then you do a very large prototype or a a large effort to make sure it's all right. But don't be afraid. I think I I encourage people I work with, don't be afraid to try stuff out and explore it. And if it doesn't work, throw it away and do something else. Like you said, all those little foam models and stuff, every one of them is important. And most of my ideas are are crap, but that one good one is the one that we want. You just got to not be afraid to get to that good one. Let's talk about when we're starting to put the technology together. So we figured out, let's say, the core experimental side. And I would argue that most products don't actually have much of an experimental thing, especially if a Mm -hmm. hardware startup is looking at it in a sophisticated way. You don't want to try and break the bank on figuring out all these new great technologies to begin, especially if this is your first product to market. Try and use pre-existing technology as much as possible to build a great new custom product, which is going to have its own intellectual property and its own special features, its own benefits and use cases, but you're keeping it simple. We talk a lot about simplicity on the podcast, so I'll save that for now, but we all know simpler is better for your first product in many reasons to get it to market. But if you're focusing on simplicity, that means you're not doing too much on the experimental side. Mm -hmm. So let's Mm -hmm. assume we've built this foundation. Now we're moving into the mock prototype. This Mm -hmm. is really a first critical phase, Mike. And I want to hear from your experience about when you finally put the electronics and put the housing together, what are you trying to build in a first rough prototype? And what are you also not trying to do? Yeah, you got to do that because if you put all this effort into that all the other finishes and you don't get something foundational right in the first place, you may have to change all of that work you did. So that first prototype is really so important for 
you know, what does it really look like off of a computer screen? In 3D, it, it looks like one thing. In the real life, it may be pretty different. And you got to change stuff. If you try to do everything in that, you'll have to redo it. Find out how all those systems work together. Because there's a lot of times they're all working great on their own. But when they come together, there's complexities and you discover stuff. I find that a lot of times those rough prototypes where you're just sort of Lego blocking things together to see how they work, that can drive a lot of really great design. You discover new things and the way things work, it's like, oh, this didn't need to be that big or, oh, this needed more structure or we can make a better handhold point this place that you couldn't know before you started to put it all together like that and saw how it interacted. I really like those rough early prototypes. You haven't spent time and budget, which is an important thing for startups, on those final finishes and details that you can generally always manage later. You obviously plan these things. You can generally always manage those later and not have to redo. I think those early sort of breadboardy kind of prototypes we bring together are some of the more critical ones. That's uh, amazing things. I love how you mentioned the opportunity there because that's yeah. something especially new hardware startups. They assume that these engineers and industrial designers are some kind of wizards. And you know what they are? They're borderline rocket scientists, these folks, right? Many of them have spent 20, 30 years mm -hmm. developing these sorts of products, hundreds right. of different products, but they're not magicians. They right. can't take all of this technology you're trying to put together, put it together on the computer screen, and then magically hope that it's just going to pop out in perfection, ready mm -hmm. to go and mm -hmm. produce. Yeah, and that's a major though. fallacy, right? The big part of prototyping that the engineers love is not the actual prototype itself. Mm. No, that's what the client loves. They see this physical thing and it's working and it's their dream coming to life. It's amazing. But what they love about a prototype is the ability to break it and right. figure out what's working well and what's working poorly and engineering all those little details in and around the discoveries that they're making physically with the products in their hand in conjunction with the CAD software on the computer. Right. Well, it's a nice relationship between CAD software and the real physical world that actually creates a lot of these design opportunities that you mentioned, a lot mm -hmm. of the brilliance, a lot of the aha moments, a lot of those technological discoveries actually happen between that relationship between CAD and the physical world prototypes. You're totally right. I, a lot of people might remember that Elon Musk, they made a whole bunch of those rockets with the intention of blowing them up. You know, they knew they weren't going to happen the first time. The, you just have to do that. It, you can't approach, especially those early prototypes from the standpoint of this has to be perfect. It's really, how do I break this? What am I going to find out from this that's going to lead me to a better product? And I, I like how you brought that up. You don't want to be married to it and think that that's the best thing because you discover so much. So even when we were at Dell, we made so many prototypes. I ended up having basically a whole office next to mine just full of prototypes on every project, whether they were starting out with basic rough foam things where we would make five, six, 10 different ideas, even all the way through to early production or pre-production stuff where we were still dialing it in. We would do a lot of that work. You could make stuff and look at it and spend a bunch of money on it. It didn't work, but it was great for us because we could dial in faster to where we needed to be. You don't have to do that all the time at all, but be, you can learn a lot by making good decisions about those. But making those prototypes, those variations really helps to solve the problems and save money later. You're, you're spending it now versus much more on something more finished. Well, and I think that becomes very apparent when we get into the technical detailing, the engineering, the mechanical engineering, the physical engineering of the product as we move, let's say, from a first rough breadboard mock prototype, let's call it, and then we move into 
real tight tolerance mechanical prototypes, things that mm -hmm. actually work and function, possibly even feel the way that a real prototype should. Mm -hmm. That's where a lot of that detailed engineering work and that problem solving happens. One of the things that's really important to note as a hardware startup is it seems like it's an expensive phase, but mm -hmm. know that those problems only balloon in cost the further you go into production. Yeah. So it, it, you're actually saving a tremendous amount of money. The more yes. engineering work, the more testing, tweaking, refinement that you put into that prototyping, especially now that we're talking moving from mock prototype to mechanical prototype, at that mechanical phase, that detailed work, that money you're spending is saving you tremendous headaches down the road or even yeah. finding, as you mentioned, I really like that you brought that up, finding great opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, you're totally right. It's hard to say, hey, spending this money now is going to save a problem later. When you don't know what the problem later is necessarily going to be, but we've done this, we both have done this enough that it, it just every single time, it's a good investment. The times that you don't do it, you, you learn from them. We've learned a lot of those lessons. One of the lessons I've learned is prototype early and often and test that stuff out. Even at the latest stage, you got to be prepared that, hey, it may not work perfectly. It may not be right. And we may have to do another one. That's totally okay. Just be ready for it because your objective is to get that final product that you can make 10, 20, 100,000 a month of and build a business out. If you, if you look at it from that standpoint, it's a great investment. I really appreciate you mentioning that because the thing that you really have to keep in mind as well is if you're doing another round of a prototype, or let's say even just a certain part of it, you don't like the way it's working and yeah. now you're tweaking that. It's not just money down the drain. You're actually coming up with tremendous amounts of equity value there, intellectual yeah. property value or future value of your product business, which is really the end goal for any hardware startup. The whole point of making a product is to get the product to market to help people make money. Right. That's the reality of all hardware startups are pretty much, let's say, 99% plus of hardware startups out there are around that premise. So right. the early stage investments into making your product great mm. is one of the least expensive investments you'll ever have in Absolutely. a hardware startup over yep. the life course of that startup. And that, that's every time. That is pretty much every time. So it's a good principle. Like I said, it's kind of hard to visualize the undone for, but it's a totally good principle. Even into... Early production stuff, it's easy to, to think everything's done. You've even got some stuff, you know, the initial parts, you've assembled them in the lab, and they, those are all working good. But production lines can influence how things are. So doing those early pilot run productions may not be technically considered a prototype, but to me, it kind of is to you're prototyping also your production process. And I've seen people who try to rush through that. They put 20 of them together in the lab. They think we're good. They're running through the production process because they're trying to get to market faster and something happened and they get a container load of stuff that's not right. There was that last phase of the process of making a product, whatever you, you call it, that something got introduced or got done a little differently just because of that different environment. Even that should, I, I think, should kind of be considered a prototyping phase of, well, we're make those 150 of them on a line. And they go test them, you know, before you actually are shipping product and, and are pulling that trigger. Even at that, I think we used to make hundreds and send them out all over the world for people of these systems as they'd come off the line before we actually turned on the, the real millions a month type of production line, because you just couldn't afford to have some variable in that last mile to get, to get in the way. I like that you mentioned the short production run. I'm a huge fan of short run production, especially for a hardware startup. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about a hardware startup versus Dell is that as a startup, when you get your first, let's say even 100 or 200 units out to market, you're a real business with yeah. real products in the market, real users that bought them. Yeah. First of all, that 
changes the equity valuation of your business astronomically. Big time. You're yeah. probably worth 10 times or more what you were worth in the prototyping space, which is 10 times more than you mm. were worth in the idea phase. Yep. So right out of the gate, you've all of a sudden hit some massive milestone that even if money is the main issue, you've now mm. substantially increased the value of your organization and the ability to raise capital. But mm. second, I love the way you look at that first production run as your, let's call it your final, final prototype, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that is yeah. where you're getting those few units out there, getting real world feedback from real customers, then making those last tiny tweaks and adjustments yeah. till you do your big run of a thousand or 10,000 or whatever it might be. Imagine yeah. the confidence you have as a hardware startup, having a hundred uh, units out there, getting feedback, making a few adjustments based on that feedback, then doing a big run, let alone uh, the sales value. As you're going to sell to that person who's potentially going to buy 10,000 units or whatnot, a distributor, a wholesaler, retailer, you can mm-hmm. now look back at the hundred units that you sold and say, this is what we sold to these people and here's how they like it. So Absolutely. again, there's many, many reasons to look at that. But Mike, I want to just go one step back before I let you go here sure. between, let's say your first mechanical prototype and your more mm-hmm. refined or pre-production prototypes, addressing that gap and increasing the efficiency and the effectiveness of getting to production at a lower cost. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's very important to us, because most of the work we do are designing products products to produce. And at Macro Design, we have to manage the whole process because most Mm -hmm. of our clients are small business. They're either inventors, startups, or small producers themselves. They don't have their own in-house design and engineering team for for production management. So what Mm -hmm. we like to do is start bringing the producer in, especially after that first mechanical Mm -hmm. prototype, possibly even before then as an advisory role, but more and more into the later stage prototypes to get actual manufacturing weigh-in on the precise methods, design structures, Mm -hmm. materials, components, et cetera, that they will need to use to actually produce your product. Right. Bringing that actually into your prototype so that when you get to production, you're not spending a whole bunch more time and money reconfiguring the wheel at that point. I think that's a very critical part of the process. A manufacturer, if you come and you just drop it, even a finished product, fully engineered, all the specs, just drop it on them, they're still likely going to go build their own prototype because they want to make sure that they know it, they've got it right and everything. So if you, the sooner you can get them into the process, like you're saying, even early as an advisory role, but especially in that stage in between, hey, here's how we think it's going to work, and then here's the final, their input will change how you do it. If they're involved in those more in those intermediate stages, those prototypes that you come up with, again, going back to the invention involved in the refinement of the actual design is much more accurate and much more targeted. Uh, and, and you don't end up repeating those cycles. So I think I'm really in agreement that getting them involved is super important. So. That's great advice, Mike, and especially powerful to new startups that maybe don't have the manufacturing relationship to be able to have the producer spend a whole bunch of time and effort doing their own final stage prototyping or whatnot, because yeah. a lot of the time you're not going to be producing a run that's big enough for them to jump head over heels trying to fix all your problems for you. So you need to come to them with a very well-vetted solution. What easier way to well-vet the solution than bring them in on some of those earlier prototypes. So you're not cutting corners by trying to jump over all the prototyping steps and somehow dump it on a manufacturer, which we've already talked about never works, doesn't exist in big business, doesn't exist in startup world. You can't skip prototyping. But more important, you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. If you create a hybrid approach of bringing them in a little bit throughout the design process, especially as you're getting into prototyping, more as you're getting into more advanced prototypes and pre-production prototypes. So by the time you actually get to production, you've already ironed out 80 or 90% of the 
details. It would be sorting out the products designed in a way that they like, that you as the client likes, and that the design firm from an aesthetic and a design and a usability perspective likes. So all partners are on board. This simply leads to a better quality product, higher success rate, lower defect rate, and certainly cheaper. Overall, by the time you go from design, engineering, prototyping into production, if you do it the right way, it's going to be exponentially cheaper than making those mistakes later and later on. The biggest mistake you'll ever make is having tooling run and having it completely messed up at that point in time and having to redo that again. That's really expensive. Even more expensive than that is if it's already out in users' hands, Mm -hmm. you can't fix that remotely. So now you've got a brand cost, which is exponentially bigger than even your tooling cost. So again, bring those costs back earlier in the process, as we talked about, and then smooth that out as you go into production. It's always an advantage that way. And they like to do that because usually manufacturer, if you got one, almost all of them, they want you to be successful. They want you to sell products so they can make more. That's how they make money too. Mike, much appreciated for all your words of wisdom today. I know we're running over here on time, so I will let you go, but it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks again. Same here. Great to see you again, Kevin, and I'm I'm happy to be here. Just call me anytime. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.